Welcome once again to another fantastic episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. We help business creators like you win at the game of business and marketing so you can thrive from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion and make a difference for your community, market, and audience. Please take a moment, visit our website at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. You will find hundreds of episodes covering a breadth and depth of topics relevant to you as a business creator and links to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. And now let's get started with today's episode. First of all, let me introduce myself. My name is Adam Homey. I'm the host of the Business Creators Radio Show, and I am honored by your wise decision to tune in and invest in yourself today. So what we're going to cover is the topic of giving yourself a raise. And, oh, that sounds exciting, doesn't it? I could give myself a raise. Hey, I could use a raise. I could use an extra million dollars an hour. And maximizing your effectiveness in order to win more business. In my book, Groundhog Day is an event, not a business strategy. One of the key themes that goes through all the segments of the spring formula that we share is applying minimalism to maximize your results and being focused on the activities you're doing and making sure that they are action items and not busy work. And what we're going to cover today is going to show you how to take that energy and take that stuff that you're doing and concentrate it in specific areas that is going to help you, in effect, give yourself a raise. To guide us through this, we have somebody who I've wanted to have on this show for a while, and we we're so happy to be able to catch up with him and bring him on. His name is Bob Paskins, and Bob Paskins is a speaker, trainer, and consultant who looks to inspire people and companies to their full potential. He lives in Oregon with his wife, Danielle, and three boys under the age of 12, and yes, he drives a minivan. Now, Bob, this funny thing about him, and I love this, he's been deemed the tow truck driver of the sales industry due to his success getting stuck businesses out of their sales rut. He's a creator of the Growth Matrix, which is a comprehensive and transformative system for unlocking the full potential salespeople and the full potential of salespeople, rather, and discovering the sales process and sales performance. So, Bob Paskins, come on in. The weather is fine. Uh-huh. Thank you, Adam. I'm, I'm just enjoying the rays that you're laying down with your voice. Thank All you. right. Uh, you know, uh, God gave me a face for radio, but as I like to say, he also gave me the voice, so at least he was consistent. There you go, yeah. <laughs> a face right. for radio and a voice for being an author. Absolutely. Right. Very That's good. Me. I love it. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, um, before we dive in, we have some listeners who right now have opened a separate browser tab, and they're binging the Yahoo out of the Googles looking for this guy, Bob Paskins, and that's spelled P-A-S-K-I-N-S. You're welcome. And what we want to do is we want to learn a little bit more about Bob the man. So, Bob, if you could just tell us a little bit about your journey and what's brought you to where you are today, helping business creators win at the game of business and marketing so they thrive from their intersection of their brilliance and passion and make a difference for their community, market, and audience? What has brought you to your intersection of your brilliance and your passion? Yeah, I mean, thanks a lot. I, 
I had been kind of dealt with or known as the tow truck driver of, of sales. And it's kind of something funny that I say and it gets a chuckle out of people because, you know, maybe it's my love of cars, but a lot of my analogies kind of revolve around driving an automobile. So I do love cars. I have a friend of mine who's in the Porsche business and it's one of these things where he'll call me up out of the blue and say, hey, Bob, I have this brand new Porsche. Do you want to come out and test drive it? And, and I love my wife and I love my kids, but it's kind of like as soon as he makes that phone call, I'm like, yes, I'm right there. Where do you want me to be? I would love to go out and drive this Porsche with you. So uh, uh, a little bit of that, a little bit of my love of cars. Um, yeah, I mean, personally, I've been married to my wonderful wife for we're coming on 16 years now, and that's great. Uh, we have three boys at home. 13, 10, and 7. So, you know, when people invite us over, I always kind of give them a little bit of a warning that, great, you know, thank you very much for inviting us over, but I'm going to tell you with three boys, we're going to break something at your house. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what it is, and I don't know which one of them is going to do it, but if you have anything valuable or anything fragile, please kind of put them out of the way because, yes, uh, a loving family, but with three boys, a lot of physical energy that we have to deal with. So, uh, that's a little bit about me personally, about my career. I've done sales and sales is my lane, Adam. So that's kind of where I look to focus. There's a lot of different consultants out there and doing a lot of different things. And sales is kind of the lane that I have chosen. And so I've done sales for 22 years, primarily in the financial services arena, everything from banks to financial planning to commercial insurance. And so that's kind of where my lane was. And you know, I kind of started up and I started back in the days, you know, I'm going to date me a little bit before really the internet. So when I showed up day one to my sales job, my boss literally gave the yellow pages and threw it on my desk and say, okay, go out and find some leads and find some business. And, and uh, that's probably not the way I would do it. It's definitely not the way I would suggest doing that going forward, but that's kind of where my experience was. But over those 22 years, was able to build up a good book of business actually built a good book of business. Our family decided to move from California up to Oregon, where we live now, um, build up another good book of business again, so much so that uh, people said, you know what, you're really good at this. Can you train others how to do it? And became a sales manager, helping three other, what I'd say, junior producers build up their book of business. And then they're like, man, you do management really well. Why don't you look to manage our office which is great. So I managed the satellite and they said, man, your results are really doing well. Why don't you end up just becoming a shareholder of the company? So that was kind of where my journey began all with sales. And the funny thing though was Adam, one day after I'd reached all of these goals, I thought, okay, this is great. This is exactly where I wanted to be. But I found that my teeth were just grinding in the middle of the night and I couldn't <laughs> really figure out why that was. And so, you know, I talked to my wife and of course in five seconds, she knew the answer. She goes, well, it's because you really don't enjoy doing what you're doing. And I said, well, what do you mean by that? She goes, well, you know, you enjoy a lot of working with people, with relationships, with businesses, helping them succeed. But I actually don't think you enjoy the product that you sell. And Adam, she was absolutely right. I mean, I'm going back to a car analogy there where, the car, for the most part, is going down the road, but every now and again, you just kind of feel a little bit of a pull or a shimmy one way or the other. And even though the car is moving, you're going 60, 65 miles an hour, there's just a little bit of a problem because the car is out of alignment. And 
you know, if you were to even let go of the wheel for a little bit, you'd find yourself steering kind of off the road. And Adam, that's kind of what I found with my sales career because I was loving doing sales, but I was not excited about the product that I was looking to sell. And so it hit me like, you know, for example, if I'm going out and meeting with clients, if I'm meeting with you or your company, we'll sit down and if we have an hour meeting, we'll spend the first 50 or 55 minutes just talking about what's going on with your business or what your growth is or, you know, what are you working on right now? What are you stuck with? All of those things. And then after this period of time, the business owner would kind of look over the table at me and say, hey, Bob, weren't you actually here to actually sell an insurance product? And I'm like, oh, yeah, let's quickly get this out of the way for five minutes or so and uh-huh. then head out to lunch. And I was realizing I was continuing to push the product down, Adam, because I was not excited about the product. And so with that, my wife's help, I was like, okay, what would it be if I were to take out the product that I was selling and now just help people, entrepreneurs, and small businesses help their sales growth? And at that moment, there was just kind of this relief that went over me. It's like, yes, you know what? I feel that's what that call that that's what my calling is. Um, you know, so I follow the Mark Twain Mark Twain quote, and Mark Twain one of his quotes was, "The two most important days in a person's life are the day that they're born and the day they discovered why." And at that time, I think that's when I realized, ah, I've now discovered the second day. This why I was born is to help businesses, entrepreneurs, and companies with their sales growth. Yeah. And, you know, that is something that I have seen so many business creators run into is, you know, it really, really comes down to is they're just not excited about what it is they're selling or what it is they're doing. I remember mm-hmm. back in MBA school, we had a, a class where the entire point of the class was to break into groups and analyze Harvard Business Review case studies. <laughs> and, there was this, there were two professors that taught it. And one of the professors was kind of an engineering guy. I believe was, he had an engineering background. And he would listen to all these great grandiloquent, uh, you know, these supposed zingers that we all thought that we came up with that showed how brilliant we are, were as MBA students who had two years of business experience, we're going to change the world. And we thought we had it all figured out with our Venn diagrams and our, and our charts and everything else and say, yeah, 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 yeah. I know that off the top of my head, but are you mm-hmm. asking the real questions? Yes. What we discovered, what we discovered is one question that kept coming up in all these case studies and why this engineering guy was so actually down on case studies in general was my estimate of it is he felt that they were academic exercises that really never got to the heart of the matter. And he would complain again and again, and people still wouldn't get it. He would mm-hmm. say, who is asking the business owner if they want to be in this business? Uh huh. Yes. Yeah. I love that. Or, I even find a second uh, question that I run across is you have a business owner that started something out because they actually love doing it. But the problem that they're running across is they're spending less and less time actually doing what they're wanting to do because they're spending a lot more time focusing on actually running the business as opposed to doing what they want to do in their business. 
And that's another thing that I love to come on and try to tackle again from the sales perspective. It's like, let me try to help you with the sales piece so you can go out and do exactly what you want to do, which right. is why you created the business in the first place. Yeah, there's an, yeah, there's an argument, and uh, I can apply this to when I, 10 years ago, I used to own a web development firm, even though I'm not actually a web designer and I can't draw, I can't draw a ruler with a straight line or even get that analogy correct. <laughs> um, and, um, uh, but, the, but, the thing, but the thing was, is I actually enjoyed the programming aspect of it, and I enjoyed uh, the copywriting aspect of it. And coaches would say, well, no, no, you, you've got to create many atoms who can do all that for you. And you've got to be the rainmaker for your business. And I absolutely mm. freaking hated it. <laughs> there is a term. Yes, there, exactly. there, there, there is a term out there, Bob, and you might have heard this. It's called adult supervision. And what that pertains to, it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that um, the person is in any way bad or out of control or anything like that. I'll give you the perfect analogy. Uh, Bill Gates, who, I mean, he does effectively run Microsoft. It is his company and everything else. But if you look at what he does day to day, 90% of his day is basically spent on geeking out on programming and planning his next fundraiser. As far as the actual operations of the company, he leaves that to other people on the management team because that's not really what he that's not really where he wants to be in life he doesn't really want to spend 90 percent of his time looking over financials and dealing with uh dealing with accounts and sponsors he wants to geek out on code and raise money to help kids yes yes so he structured his company in such a way where it's still his company and Mm -hmm. he still has the final word on things but he has other people to provide the adult supervision he needs so that he can have fun with it while they do what they do best, which is continue to make the company profitable and keep it growing. Yeah, and I love that. I absolutely love that because I think you know, people come up to me and say, okay, this is where I am. And a lot of them come up and say, okay, I need to get another person. Who do I want to get? Because I feel like our business is on the verge of expansion. What do I get to go forward? And, and my response basically, it's kind of what you're saying, Adam, is first of all, what do you like to do? And continue to do that. And then second of all, what do you not like to do? Or what are you not gifted at? And that's the person that you bring in as an outside consultant or contractor. Or you want to bring on an employee. You want to bring in the people where their strengths are maybe, you know, kind of like what you were doing. You're loving the copywriting side of things. So great. Don't bring in another you to that. Bring in somebody else that compliments you by doing the things that you don't either have a passion for or do well. Right. Right. And it's, and for some of our business creators, so I want you to hear this, you, when you're in business, you're in sales and marketing. I get that. And that's absolutely the fact. But if sales is not your yen and marketing is not your yen, then that you're, you have radical permission to hire somebody to go out and get leads and somebody to close your deals for you. You have permission mm-hmm. to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're allowed to have a representative or appoint somebody to your executive team or to have you who handles all that for you. And then you serve as the project lead or you serve as the, uh, you serve as the deity that hovers above everything or whatever makes you feel good. But it's about uniting your brilliance and your passion. And yeah, if you're in, if you're in business, you're in marketing. I get it. I get it. I get it. But if marketing right. makes you want to lobotomize yourself with a butter knife, <laughs> then maybe you need to hire a marketer. Maybe you need somebody like Bob Paskins to come in and help give you a raise. Yeah, so, 
And that's it. I mean, I specifically, I don't really like to focus on the marketing side. There are people who do marketing much more better than I do it. More better. Right. Yeah. I speak, by the way, I speak for a living, Adam. Can you yes. tell? Yes. Uh-huh. I'm a more better speaker out there. <laughs> no, uh, but you find people who can do marketing well. What my job is, is to figure out what you actually have in your business that you can draw from that can look to increase what your sales are. Yeah. And one of the things that I love, either if you are in sales or if you're an entrepreneur, that is different from other aspects is that you can give yourself a raise every single year and you can determine what that raise is going to be every single year. I look around and I'm sitting here with other businesses, people out, business people out there and you know, they're working for other people. And so they might get their three to 5% raise if the company's doing well, and that's fine. But that's the great thing about being in sales or being an entrepreneur. It, your raise potential is absolutely endless out there. And right. that's one of the reasons why I love being in this field. Yeah. Yeah. There's a few specific areas that uh, we wanted to cover here today because we want to leave some people with some stuff they can actually act upon that'll get them leaning in to think about maybe taking some next steps with growing their businesses. Uh, one of these, and I think this is a great time to segue into it, is the use of storytelling, which some people call story selling or what have you. But the question is, Bob, is how do you tell effective stories to win business? Oh, that's great. I, for me, what I've come down to is an approach of, I, you know, say, stories are good, but sometimes what I find with stories is you have to be able to be succinct in what your storytelling is. And so sometimes I think it's more anecdotes than it are stories, because I don't know if you've ever heard the people who think they're good storytellers and they aren't, and they're rambling on, you know, and it's kind of like... Uh-huh. Oh, what was that movie quote? It's, you know, like, have you ever heard of having a story that comes to an actual point? You know, and that's kind of what it feels like. So, so one of the first things I say with stories is you really want to make sure the stories or these anecdotes can be delivered in about 15 to 30 seconds. Because after that, if you have to, people really continue to track or introduce new things into it. You're just going to see these people just, you know, you start with the eyes on you and then they start drifting away. Uh, and you're like, whoa, what's going on? Because they've lost interest in your story. But when it comes to stories, I actually think that stories have to have uh, three main components to them. And so an effective story is short. So it has some brevity to it. Again, you should be able to get into it in about two to four sentences, which would be your story or or your anecdote. But in those two to four sentences, I find that there has to be three main things in there. The first one is there has to be some sort of a drama or a conflict. And you go to any, you know, movie producer or any book or author like that, there is always some sort of drama or conflict that drives a story. And so usually what I would say in the first sentence is I introduce some sort of conflict, drama, or problem that has occurred either with the current customer or with um, a prospective customer that you're currently working with right now or a customer that you've worked with. So you, first of all, you have to kind of show what that drama or conflict is and you have to kind of address that. 
Uh, the second thing that I would do, probably like in the second sentence or so, is actually say the what I call the actual solution that you come up with. So by using our services, we were able to fix this problem. Boom. So first sentence, I was working with another company that had this type of a problem. Okay, great. You've introduced the tension, the drama, the conflict there. And yeah. then the second sentence is something to the effect of, and through our solution or our product, we provided the answer to your problem. And so that's the first one. We've taken care, or excuse me, that's the second one. The right. first one is we've taken care of, we've addressed the need that actually exists with the prospect. The second one is coming up with an actual solution of what the actual fix was for their problem. And then the third piece, which I think is the most powerful, is what I call the emotional solution. And what the emotional solution basically says is, and because we have solved this problem, our customer was able to do this. And it creates some sort of an emotional tie-in together. So one of the companies I worked with is a bread-making company. And so this bread making company is now doing all gluten-free breads. And so they're trying to get shelf space for a client. And so I was working with them and basically, you know, the problem that they have is getting owners to realize the value of the gluten-free products. And so that's kind of where the story started where, okay, I, you know, yes, we're having this trouble. And the trouble is that we need to have this, particular shelf space so we can address the gluten-free products because the people with gluten-free products need to have bread for their family. So we are providing this gluten-free product. There's the actual solution right there. So by providing this gluten-free bread product, great solution. Now we go into the emotional side. Our family is able to go and sit down and enjoy the same meal prepared together, which is something that they may not have been able to do because mom or dad were looking, trying to get different little meals or different breads or different products for the family. And so if you can put that together simply where family has a problem because they aren't able to eat together because one of the, child, the children is gluten-free, then we come in with our product and provide a gluten-free bread so that with purchasing this, we're able to make sandwiches and our family is able to share a meal together. Something like that. Address the need, address the actual solution, address the emotional solution. Right. And as somebody who has an opportunity to develop further and ramble less, that's a great formula to follow. Mm-hmm. And maybe I did it. Maybe I didn't do that very good. I mean, I'm, not, I'm referring to, I'm referring to myself in this okay. case. I'm yeah. <laughs> now I'm referring, I'm referring to myself. I've recognized that, uh, in casual conversation, I can be somewhat elliptical and, <laughs> and sometimes I take the same approach to conversation and sometimes even hosting these interviews as I do, uh, to copywriting where you open loops with the idea you leave things hanging, so you keep people, keep people reading, so they want to see how it turns up. And in good story writing, you do open a lot of loops because you want people to have it nagging in their mind, 
well, what was that guy doing standing there inside the door in chapter two? Why did the author yeah. mention that? Yes. So they want to keep going in chapter six, mm-hmm. chapter seven. Maybe you drop mm-hmm. in a couple more hints. And in chapter nine, you find out that that's the guy who is paying for the whole thing or that's mm-hmm. the that's the actual culprit if it's a if it's a murder mystery or something like that uh you just it's just that sort of thing but when it comes to business and sales and marketing type stories telling or stories selling uh you uh really don't have that kind of time so i encourage our listeners to go back to bob's three-point formula and follow that and i think that'll help you create the the three elements much more quickly so that leads to another question and i think this is really big when it comes to anything that has to do with all these conversations that leads to sales is and again this is another growth opportunity for me and this is something that i work on is how do you manage the time effectively because you only have the same 24 hours everybody else does and you want to cover more prospects and you want to keep them interesting without it turning into a gab fest yeah that's a great thing for me what i've what i've want to do is again everyone's trying to use an efficient uh, use of their time and one of the best ways i have found for people to be able to grow their business especially in this day and age where people are just getting bombarded all over the place by ads or marketing is to be able to ask for referrals and do that well because if you're able to ask for referrals basically what you are getting is borrowing the trust of someone else that knows you or has purchased from you or believes in you to a new person. And that, Adam, is critical because I don't know if you like you. I love going and shopping on Amazon. In fact, I was on Amazon earlier this morning. And so if you're like me, one of the first things I look to do is, okay, I'll find the product that kind of matches what I'm going to be able to do. And then I'll look for the price on that. Great to see that. And then what do people do next? They go and they see how well this is being reviewed. And they start reading the reviews. Now, uh-huh. I don't know if you do that, but I do that constantly. Okay, yep. is this the problem I want? Okay, that looks like the price I want. Okay, great. What are other people saying about this? Right. And, and, and why do we do that? It's because we want to make sure that we're making a good decision Because if I don't want number one from Amazon, I can go to a very similar product, number two, number three, number four, number five, all the way down there. And so I want to figure out what people are going to say. And when it comes to referrals, what that does is for a prospect, it eliminates the need to have to do more searching to figure out, is this person credible? Because you already have someone who's in your court saying, you know what, Adam is very good at what he has done. And he's been able to do this for our company. Right there, that's like getting the best five-star rating you could possibly get. Right there from somebody else. And after that, they aren't going to ask five or six other people because they trust me. And I say, you need to talk to Adam. They're going to trust you as well. Kind of almost like the old transitive property, you know, back in elementary school, if A is B and B is C, then C is A. Yep. And bringing that together. So one of the things I always like to do when I work with companies is figure out 
where they can get the most bang for their buck when it comes to who their referrals are. Right. And, and, and that's the biggest thing. I think the first thing you have to figure out with that is what do you do well? So Adam, really, what do you, what do you and your business do well and who do you want to, um, who do you want to reach out for clients? And then once you get that narrowed down, start asking people, okay, I do this for, for clients and I get these great results. Do you know anyone who would like to have this or gain these same results that I'm getting from other people? Right. Just open the door for referrals. Right, 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 right. So here's, when it comes to referrals, Mm -hmm. I believe that a strong referral is very important. And sometimes we have to teach our referrals how to refer us. And Mm -hmm. one example, which kind of, is Captain Obvious. You got to make sure they're referring you for the right thing. So if yes. you are doing copywriting and you keep getting these referrals for, oh, Adam can build my squeeze page, that's not the right, right kind of referral. And right. you need to educate your referrals and keep them in the loop on where your business is going yes. so that they can see opportunities to refer mm-hmm. people to you if they like mm-hmm. you because they can see three miles down the road to your traveling and start lining up referrals that will match where you're headed, which will be great referrals. Another thing that I like to share, and uh, and this is what's very important with business creators, when we're speaking one business creator to another, like I'm speaking with Bob here right now for our listeners, it's a good idea sometimes. You have the opportunity to run some ideas by your peers. And the reason the business creators radio show is typically a one-hour format is we want to have time to explore things and give the listeners a chance to have a fly-in-the-wall view of an actual conversation rather than just, you know, rattle out answers to, to clip questions. So in my book, Groundhog Day is an event, not a business strategy. I get into when people go on Facebook and ask for recommendations, basically. Mm-hmm. And what will happen is people say, well, I've got three resources or uh, PM me, or uh, they'll write this long digitally inscrutable paragraph that people can't even read that just blah, 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 blah. And here's what I teach people to do. Let's say that, let's say that somebody says, I need somebody to help me order pens for my exhibit booth at my conference. So I happen to have a guy who works with a company that can make their pens for them. So here's how I would type the recommendation when I'm making referral and it, these it's going to be five sentences and each one of these sentences is its own separate paragraph. So mm-hmm. I'm going to read it out to you and very quickly I'll break it down. Speak with my guy, Bob Haskins at bobhaskins.com. Email him at his email address or call his number. Here's his LinkedIn profile. And then I'll share your LinkedIn profile because you and I are connected on LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. I told him who you are and he knows you'll be reaching out. Mm-hmm. On his website, bobpaskins.com, go to trade show options to find what you want and then speak with my guy. He will take care of this for you. Mm-hmm. So to break it down, first sentence, speak with my guy, Bob Haskins at bobhaskins.com, email him or call him. Mm-hmm. By saying he's my guy, I'm implying I've done business with him successfully, implying. Yeah. Even yeah. if all I know is he's done great work for some of my friends. Mm-hmm. So going back, Bob, to what you said, I'm linking, I'm linking your reputation to mine. I'm taking ownership of that, meaning if you like me, 
they're going to like you. And I'm also mm-hmm. letting others on the thread know that you're open for business. Birds of a feather flock together. Second, here's his LinkedIn profile. And then I share the link to the LinkedIn profile. So sharing the LinkedIn profile establishes you as an authority figure with the right experience and the track record and not merely the guy who processes the order. It puts a face to the name. And the, reason you put, and the reason you put the link to the LinkedIn profile first is because usually when Facebook or any social media, LinkedIn does this, Twitter does this, they all do it, will show, will show a preview of a web page. You're going to go with the first link. So you want to make sure the LinkedIn link is first. And what that does is, that, let's say you were in, um, in trade show promotions, they could go to your LinkedIn profile and see that you're a seasoned professional with 25 years experience. You're a hell of a lot more than just the order taker. Mm-hmm. Third sentence, I told him who you are and he knows you'll be reaching out. So by the time I add to the thread, that'll be a factual statement. I will have sent you a message uh, with the person's name. I'll say, Bob, uh, Susie needs pens for her conference and uh just want you to know she's coming for me and that in itself speaks several sentences that will not need to be said to Susie, the person asked for recommendations and also notice i put an embedded command you will be reaching out so the person i'm making the referral to i'm basically telling them you will be reaching out little mm-hmm. nlp in there mm-hmm. fourth sentence on the website company website go to trade show options to find what you want and then speak with my guy so by giving specific instructions to show how simple it is to get started, I make it even easier for the two of you to do business. Is there a referral of time to look at the website and be more prepared for the conversation with Bob? So notice I put the LinkedIn profile first to create the personal connection. Then I put the, the website of the company second so they can still click on it, but it's not going to be the thing that shows in the preview. They're going to see a person rather than a company in a preview, people to people. And then final sentence, he will take care of this for you. So with all that buildup that I've done, those previous four sentences by saying he will take this for you, I'm planting the suggestion, Bob, that you already know that Susie's going to be calling you and you're already working on her order. All she needs to do is follow my embedded command. You will be reaching out and she will have her pens. I love that. I love that. There's a number of things in there that I absolutely love and I agree with it because you provided a great introduction but not only that, you provided a pathway to connection so that, great, there is a way for the two of us to connect. You created a call to action on my standpoint. So at this point, you've teed this all up for me that you've even given the next steps. So you know what? You're going to hear from Bob on this particular time, which is great because a lot of times people set up a referral with no call to action, with no, here's the next step or here's the first step into place. And I love that you do that because it creates continued momentum. Okay, this is what's going to happen next. And then the last thing I love about that is when I do pick up the phone to talk to your guy, because of the introduction you provided, it's almost like we're starting on second base. We are moved to from an absolute cold lead to a lead that um, that they know and they expect to call. In fact, you know, I even love this where you'd be working with me and say, okay, you know, you'd ask me this question, Bob, when would you be able to call him so you can put a precise time? And so you could say, okay, well, Bob will call you around two o'clock on Wednesday. 
And so right. that point even comes to when that person sees, okay, two o'clock on Wednesday, oh, my phone is ringing. Wait a second, it triggers something in their mind. Adam said that Bob would be calling at that time. And that point, it even shows one more step that, you know what, I'm actually following up and I'm not some fly-by-night guy. It builds your relationship and it validates you for recommending me. And it gives me yeah. some of that, of that authority in there. So I love that. I absolutely love that. Yeah, well, thank you very, thank you very much. Um, and uh, that is the result of years and years of testing. And the point I want to make one more time, just in case nobody heard it, is that when I type that, I type each of those five phrases as a separate paragraph. Because mm-hmm. what you have to remember, is that statistic after statistic and study after study shows two things. People do most of their most active social media participation on their smartphones while they're using it as a time gap filler. Mm -hmm. That's the first item. And the second item is even people who work in corporate offices have a tendency to scan their email using their phones or their smartphones or their tablets before they actually switch to the desktop or the laptop they use to do their work. I I do this myself because I usually don't get started with my day until I've been awake for at least a few hours. But after I have my breakfast, my meditation, and I play with my cats a little bit, uh, even if I'm not ready to dive into my work day and I know there are no appointments coming up right away, I'll pop open the smartphone so I don't have to go to the computer and just take a quick scan of my email and just see what's there waiting for me. Yeah, I so love you have that. To, so, you have to bear, so you have to bear in mind that behavior. So if, uh, if one of those emails is, hey, Bob, uh, this person, Susie McKimmel on, on Facebook, uh, said she needs pens for her event. I wanted you to know I put your name in the hat and told her to give you a ring. Mm-hmm. So you know that if you get a phone call coming in and you don't recognize the number and you're one of those people like me who has it set up so the person announces themselves, whether they use Ring Central or Google Voice or what have you, before they get connected to you and you hear that, you hear Susie's name, you say, oh, this is a business call. Um, mm-hmm. I may be just out of the shower, but I'm going to grab this one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that. I think you hit a key thing. Brevity is key. I, when we're asking for referrals or asking for introductions, just know exactly what you're asking for specifically yeah. and ask for that one specific thing. Don't say, hey, we can do this and then do this and then do this and then do this and then yeah. do this. You're going to lose them in that. What is yeah. the one thing that you want and ask specifically for that? If you want to meet great, say it. I would like to see if we can meet sometime next week or something or, or – you know, are you available next Thursday for a get together? Yeah. That's all you're asking for. You are yeah. not trying to continue to get the full sale on the first email. Yeah. What you want is just, okay, what is the goal of this? Let's accomplish this one goal. Right. And do it with a brief email, just like you said. Yeah. Yes. Like here's, an, here's another example, and I've shared this on other episodes. Uh, the day that I cold call somebody, is the day that I need to be committed because I've made it so many public statements that uh, I don't like to answer the phone unless it's a scheduled call. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, I don't expect other people to do it as well. So if they see me cold calling all of a sudden, they're going to know it's inauthentic. So mm-hmm. what I worked out is very similar to what you just said. This is another place where 
our complementary work and our parallel work kind of touches each other is I have a formula where I'll reach out to somebody. I'll make a list of folks who I want to connect with and I want to network with or reach out to about an offering or something I want to discuss. And I'll say something like, like, Hey Bob, uh, you may have noticed that I've been posting about this new agency that I've started and uh, we're in soft launch mode and I just wanted to get your thoughts on it peer to peer. How can I get on your calendar for a 15 minute chat? Mm-hmm. That's how, that's how, that's how, that's how I phrase it. How can I get your, or, what I'll say is how can I get on your schedule for a 15 minute chat? Mm-hmm. And that makes it very easy for them to, without having to think about anything or type anything, just copy paste the link to their scheduler. Yeah. I and, and, I, and I will do that time and time again. I'll send that same type of message and then, then the replies will come in. I'll see time trade, time trade, time trade. Meet me SO, meet me SO, meet me SO, Calendly, 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 uh, schedule mm-hmm. with Adam, uh, connect with Bob, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's no need for big conversations. And I, and I just start going to those different scheduling links, booking myself in and watching my calendar fill up. Yeah, yeah. There's so many good things I like about that. I, I think when people think of going out into the market, and I'm going to use kind of a, I have to be careful with this, but a hunting analogy here, where yeah. people are going to say, you know what, I'm just going to go hunting. I'm going to bring my shotgun and I'm just going to try to shoot a number of things in the air and hopefully I hit something. No. To me, that is exactly what cold calling is. I'm reaching out, man, I'm just firing out. People may know me, may know me, may not know me. I don't know, but I'm going to take this activity to do that. That's for me, not the most efficient way to do it. What I like to do using the analogy, taking it one step further, is to basically hunt with a focused, high-power scoped rifle. At that point, I'm looking and I'm targeting specifically on who I want to ask. And if I don't have that information, Adam, I'm not asking the question yet. I'm looking to find more ways or more connections with the people so that when I do ask that specific question, they will be receptive to it. They will know hopefully who I am and they will be able to address it, which is right. really what you want. Even if the answer is no, that is fine because at least you have been able to make a connection in this and have gotten their attention so that they've been able to provide a response to you. I, I, love, I love the answer no because it focuses me. Mm-hmm. And, and and I even track my nose because I want to see where they're coming from. And if I notice there's a trend of what types of businesses and what types of companies are firing off all those no's, mm-hmm. I, look at, I look at two questions. And there may be other things I should ask, but two that I ask are, okay, uh, do I really want to be in this market segment? And if the answer is no, then I'm doing something right. And if I do, then... I need to look at, well, what's missing with my message because I'm trying to target this segment and they keep turning me away. So either way, it works. The only thing I really don't like when it comes to this is when somebody who has no intention of actually speaking with me uh, just jerks me around. I can, right. give you a quick, I can give you a quick example from my, from my new media agency, In Demand Expert. We were looking to get one of our guests booked on somebody's show and it was a niche show. So we knew they had a podcast. We went to their live chat feature on their website. And we said, hey, uh, we saw your podcast. We like it. And we have somebody who we think a colleague of ours would be a great addition to your lineup. Who do I speak with about this? And 
somebody named Dave wrote back and said, sure, write to Dave at artdomain.com and he'll, and he'll speak with you about that. So we wrote to Dave, no response. Then we wrote to Dave again. Then we get this really nasty message from Dave where Dave says, and this is actually the same guy, and he says, Gan, yeah, we told you we don't deal with agencies. Don't contact me again or else. Mm. I, I wanted to send him an invoice for wasting my time. Yes. <laughs> I, wanted to, I wanted to write him a letter and say, hey, Jagoff, you should have just said no in the first place because I'm here to get this person booked. And if you're not going to book them, you wasted my time that I could have gotten getting them results. You've done me a disservice. You have used my time. You owe me money. But mm. I, I just I – just, fouled it in case he ever comes to me hat in hand wanting something so I can remind him what he did to me. But, uh, but the point being, I bring that up very briefly just to say that's no. And, uh, and I also see a lot of people complaining because a lot of people make this mistake on LinkedIn where, you know, you make a connection with somebody and the first thing that comes out is this, this long message. It actually should be an like, email. It's yes. not digitally literate. It's like blah, blah, yes. blah, blah, blah. We do A, B, C, D, and E. And by the way, I have a report you should opt in. Yeah. And then they complain that uh, people keep sending that message over and over again. And I just I, and, and I, I, I just jump on these threads and I say, did you just tell the person they're not interested? Mm-hmm. They're like, uh, no, they should just figure No, they shouldn't just figure it out. Tell them they're not interested because mm-hmm. – if they're doing that strategy, it's probably working for them in some way. The sooner they can roll you out, the sooner they can start sending those same messages to other prospects that are more likely to respond. Do yourself the favor by doing themselves the favor by doing rather do yourself the favor by doing them a favor. Just say thank you, no, and they'll move on. You know, there's an interesting part to that, too, and I think this is on the senders of that response where, again, this is where, and I love what we're saying, we want to be brief and we want to be very exact with what we do yeah. because that's – I've seen things where I've looked at either emails or these LinkedIn messages, which is a lot of the way that I do business these days, and the first thing gets my attention, and I'm ready to go with that, which is probably what they principally wanted in the first place. Right. But then they added point two, three, four, five, six, and I start reading these all of these other things, and Adam, that might be part of what they do, but not the main thing they do, and they will talk, or in this case, write themselves out of an agreement with me by Uh continuing to say more and more things, which they're hoping apply, but actually don't and rule themselves out from me working with them. I see that time and time again. Uh What do you want? We we do this to to solve this problem for you. Are you interested? And I'm like, okay, yes or no, great. And then they go on point two, three, as we said before, and they – uh, just know what you want, ask for it, and then stop. You want them Precisely. to come back. Yeah, and another complaint about this uh, type of LinkedIn marketing is where people will, uh, and, and this is the best part, uh, like I have friends who have digital marketing agencies, and they'll get they'll connect with somebody on LinkedIn. The first thing that person will ask them is, have you ever considered working with a digital marketing agency? Okay. Or, or, uh, or they'll say something like, you know, you, I, 
I've been following your blog, which they haven't, and I think I, you should write a book. And then you find out the person is a 14-time Amazon bestseller and a three-time New York Times bestseller. Nice. Uh, okay. Nice. Uh, I found that I get the most effective results on LinkedIn, where after we connect, I just ask one simple question. And uh, that question varies depending mm-hmm. on what mm-hmm. it is I'm looking, what I'm seeking at the moment, or after a cursory view of their profile tells me that I think off the surface they might be interested. And I don't assume anything about them. I just mm-hmm. ask an open-ended question. So if I viewed them as a potential uh, uh, you know, prospect for our in-demand experts, jumpstart training for people who want to host podcasts, I would say, hey, I was wondering, do you have a podcast? And if not, were you considering starting one? Mm-hmm. Two parts. Do you have a podcast? Because I obviously didn't see it by checking them out. So I don't know. And so they can say, yes, thanks for asking. So they can just roll that out. And I can I say, if not, have you ever considered starting one? Now, they could answer that a few different ways, one of which they could say, yeah, I already have one. Thanks for asking. And then maybe I can follow that up with, hey, how's that going? What are some of the, what, what are some of the things you're enjoying most about it? What are some of the best results you're getting from it? And then take a conversation from there. Or they could say, no, nah, I don't want to. Or, and, I, and depending on the, the tenor, I could say, all right, thanks. Or I could say, oh, just got a curiosity. What's holding you back? Mm-hmm. So by starting with something very simple that just elicits a simple response from them, you can get, a, you can get priceless guidance on where to take the conversation rather than just throwing five bullet points at them to see which one sticks. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, my strategy, I use something called the sales growth matrix. And what the sales growth matrix basically is, it was with companies or entrepreneurs that want to grow and drive their business forward. There are typically six areas where they may or may not be struggling. And what I like to do when I make these connections, like today, for example, we're all talking in something in the element, what I call the discovery element. And what the discovery element is, is focusing on what you do well, knowing what you do well, so that you can tell good, effective stories about that, as well as getting referrals from other people to continue to get the clients that you want to get. So, I mean, this is, again, one of the six elements there. But when I reach out to LinkedIn, each one of these elements has kind of a specific question and hopefully with my knowledge of their industry or what they might be going to, or hopefully I'm referred in by somebody else who had that problem. I can ask him one of the questions of the six elements within my growth matrix to be able to try to get a specific answer from them so I can help them out. Right. And that's where I look at it. We're trying to solve needs here as opposed to say, hey, we do this, 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 this. No, what, oh. looking at them, what needs do you think they have based upon just doing a little bit of research from yep. either who they know or their website or what they do? And yeah. you can kind of then channel down or funnel down what you want to do so you can ask a very specific question about their business and then trying to get a meeting. Yeah, that's in fact, all I want to do. Yep. That's in fact, it. in fact, we designed the in-demand expert website around that same principle of having one of five or six different questions we can ask. Mm-hmm. So we yes. can start one of five or six different questions. Uh, yes. Another th- and what we've discovered in pitching 
uh, shows to find out if they're accepting guest applications. We found out that while some, you know, and I get these pitches from agencies all the time that say, hey, you know, I, I, I was on the Business Creators Radio Show and I listened to five of your episodes and I thought they were absolutely wonderful. And I'm thinking, no, you didn't. <laughs> I can, I can, I, now we found that we get more results when we say, let's say somebody was addressing me. If they said to me, Hey, Adam, I, I, uh, I had a chance to check out the business creators radio show. I like it. That, I mean, I, I can interpret that however I want, but the fact is they just complimented my show. It's like, okay, did they well, listen it, to episodes? It doesn't matter. They like my show. I'm interested. Tell, <laughs> what do you got? And this is kind of where I'm going back. And I think we're kind of circling back to this of being very specific where you're right. If somebody says, Hey, Adam, I just listened to five of your podcast shows, da, 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 da. And you're right. You know, I'm the skeptic too. I'm like, I don't think you did because you wouldn't have done that. Or if you say, Hey, Adam, I listened to your podcast with Bob Paskins and I love that you discussed this point. That actually works because if they zero in on one episode and they go to like minute 54, which is kind of where we're at right now, and they point out what we just said, it's like, they actually did listen to that episode. Okay. Uh, You're interested. I'm leaning in. What you got? Exactly. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And so that's where we've kind of hit this again, being very specific and brief when you're trying to reach out to customers is the way to go. Yeah. Now, for all of our listeners, what I want you to gather here is that when you take these minimalist principles and you've seen this theme come up again and again, my conversation with Bob, that it comes down to being brief, it comes to being simple, and it comes to, well, being simple in terms of using simple strategies, and mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it could be interpreted different ways, and uh, watch your language, and it also comes down to applying minimalism to achieve maximum results that when you're focused on these things, which are actions that lead to revenue and profits rather than activities to make it feel like you're running your business, that's how you give yourself a raise. That is. And again, yeah, we're hitting that. Don't be afraid to ask specific questions. Be very specific with about them and their needs and about what you can offer, because that's how you're going to get the reaction. If you say we do all of these things, you're just throwing this out to the wind you're not going to get the response. So know what you want from the outcome from those conversations. Yeah, yeah. As a, you know, as a final point, um, years and years ago, uh, you know, I've had a few different agencies that have come through to help me manage some of my LinkedIn conversations for me. And, uh, what, and back when uh, we had a very heavy emphasis on LinkedIn groups, one of the agencies, uh, and I could see what they were doing because I have them go to my PC into my network. So the laptop I've dedicated to go to my PC will fire up. And sometimes I just watch them work. And I watched them post this thing. It was uh, somebody was in a discussion group. They were asking, as you would say, Bob, a very specific question. And the answer that they gave using my name was to basically put all the about information about my company and then, and then put quotes of testimonials and then say, and say, and if you'd like to speak with me about this, uh, contact my uh, assistant Tracy and uh, here's her phone number and her email address and everything else. And then I saw them post it. And then I just sat there waiting for my telephone to ring so they could say, Hey, you should see, this awesome thing we just posted in that LinkedIn group. And mm-hmm. so um, 
what I what I'll tell you next. We'll explain what I did with what with uh, how I reacted to what they did. Is um, sure enough, my phone rang. Their number was on the ID, so I waited for it to announce them. I clicked one to accept the call, and I said, "Hi, yes, I saw that post. I deleted it before you got me swammed." Yes. Uh huh. Because aside from the fact that it broke so many etiquette rules of mm-hmm. LinkedIn groups, I knew that it was the opposite of effective. They effectively just turned me into that guy that's just trying to sell something. And I deleted it quickly in the hopes that nobody registered. Yeah, exactly. They turned you in a, into a commodity. And that's the yeah. worst thing that you can become is a commodity. Right. Whereas a, whereas a better course of action would have been simply to use your three-part story selling process that we covered earlier, so listeners go back, subscribe, and listen to it again to quickly tell a 15-second story that answered their question. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that, would have, that would have created all the implied messaging and everything else and would have been more likely to lead to a response of, hey, that's really cool. I'd like to chat with you about that. How do I do it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. All yeah. right. I absolutely love that. I absolutely love that. Yep. Finding so a way to... Oh, yeah. go ahead. Yeah, we're at the top of the hour, actually. So um, I wanted to give you a moment, Bob, before we sign off. Uh, you know, any of our listeners who are leaning in right now and looking to take the next step, uh, how do they go about and do that? Yeah, so a little bit about me. What I do is I work with companies through what I call the growth matrix. And what this does is it looks at six areas of their business to drive their sales growth forward. Yep. We kind of hit on one of these. I call it the discovery page of knowing basically who you are and how you can sell yourself to others. But there are all sorts of other ones that we can work on. And what my goal is then would be to work with these companies towards this growth matrix. So if you like this one, there's five others that we could talk about to be able to reach the next level. Basically, what I love to do is work with companies using a computer software analogy, which are at that 2.0 level and it's time to upgrade them to a 3.0 level and they just don't know how to get there. I'd love to come in and partner with these companies so that they're able to create the pathway so that they can get to that 3.0 level. So yeah, that's I, how I work with, with yep. companies and then business and then people. Uh-huh. I, I will work with them as well, just basically on a coaching consulting basis, the same thing, figuring out really where they want to go providing a third eye viewpoint and allowing them to be able to get to the goals that they want to reach. Yep. So that's what I do. Yep. If for our listeners, you can just go to bobpaskins.com and you've heard about a hundred times that Bob is on LinkedIn, go connect with him. He's a great guy to hang out with. Yes. And if they want the email, very simple, bob at bobpaskins.com. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Bob Paskins, thank you so much for being on the business creators radio show. It's been an honor and an education. Adam, I really enjoyed our conversation. Thanks for having me. For our listeners, we trust you enjoyed today's episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. Check out our previous and upcoming episodes on our website at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. While you're there, be sure to subscribe to your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. Until next time, have a great day. Take care.